celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Grace is an Olympic and world rowing champion and a master's graduate of the University of Cambridge, London, UK. With many titles to her name, including five times world champion, 15 times national premier, and two world best times, and of course, becoming both a gold and silver Olympic medalist at the Tokyo Games. She has created iconic moments alongside remarkable teammates and certainly has made her country proud numerous times, recognized in 2022 when receiving the honor of being appointed as a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to rowing. With a wealth of experience to share about her high performance environments from the physical training and the mental endurance of the elite sport, to her top tier academic pursuits. It is truly an honor to welcome you, Grace, to Tall Poppy Talk. Where and how are you today? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. That all sounds uh, very, very nice and it's all read out uh, continuously like that. Um, I am currently sitting in London in the UK where I'm, where I'm now based, but no, I'm really, really excited to be on this and going well, um, adjust, adjusting to life. <laughs> I love to hear it. And is it, yeah, it's strange when things are read back, especially from someone else in a succinct way. Like in reality, how long was your rowing span? Like all of those titles, I jam it into a minute and a half of talking, but what did that look like for you as the athlete? Well, yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> um, so I, I was quite young into the team. So I guess I, I went essentially from high school into the New Zealand team did age group for a few years, but sort of have lived and breathed it um, for my entire twenties. Like I, I turned thirty last year, and I, it kind of made me sort of realise I was like, wow, my twenties were rowing, um, and and it was amazing. And obviously, a lot of my teens as well through throughout high school, I rowed as well. But when I was doing it full time, trying to achieve all that, I was like, wow, that was my my 20s were, were given to rowing which is not anything I would ever change um but it was quite crazy to put it in perspective that's how long I've been doing it for definitely and I know Rod Corbin we spoke about it as it's strange right like you've had this huge career and yeah you're 30 whereas there's so many other careers like his own with psychology that you don't even kick off until you're 30 <laughs> so that identity it's just a unique timing and I'll dive into my first uh, question I'd sent to you is you you are so proud to share your experiences with the next generation much like you're doing right now um specifically athletes and to provide them guidance to help them achieve their goals and realize the power of sport that was a term that I'd kind of seen a couple times so could you please articulate what the power of sport means to you yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, for me, the power of sport, I've always found almost in its ability to transport you to somewhere else. You can, regardless of what is going on in your life, like anyone can get out there and do sport in one way or another. And it's it's this place where you um, can just immerse yourself. And, and, you know, when you're doing sport, you just forget about everything else going on and and it's just such a nice feeling. It clears your mind. It, it can bring people together. I think part of the benefit is that of it is the community that it can make as well. Um, you know, like I found I've bonded with people I have 
um, come from such different backgrounds, from such different experiences, with such different personalities, but you you enter into a sport event, whether it's as a spectator or an athlete or for fun, um, you're surrounded by these people that maybe you wouldn't have much in common with, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're out here, we're having so much fun together. And yeah, it's just it's this ability to bring so many people together and give them a space to sort of just enjoy what's going on in the moment and sort of forget about all the other pressures in life. <laughs> Definitely. And even I'm sure you're experiencing it being in England, like people have allegiances because of what football team they're with. <laughs> yeah. no, nothing else, but a sense of that community and uh, yeah, togetherness that can be formed as a spectator. Like England's one of the prime examples of that. Yeah, I'm learning that very quickly. I haven't quite developed an allegiance yet, but I don't I don't want to be uh, a fake fan that gets tested in my knowledge. So I'll just sit on the fence for a little bit longer. But and that that's not even getting out there and playing it. It is just people that you you know, they'll probably meet in the street and they can bond over this shared love or shared interest. And um I think it's becoming more and more accessible to everyone to at least watch or play. Um so it's just like a great way of being like we can bring together people from all parts of the world, um, all parts of community, all levels. It's yeah, it's pretty special. It is special. And what was your entry into rowing? Like what was the I know for New Zealanders, it's it's pretty common for us, but overseas, maybe not so much. Like what was your unique entry story? Yeah, I guess in New Zealand, it's it's such a big high school sport. Um I didn't know a lot about it, to be honest. I didn't have any family members or anything that did it. Oh, I think I had an uncle that my dad would in it when he was young. Um, but I was, uh, I'm obviously quite naturally tall and I was very into my netball, which a lot of uh, New Zealand kids also are growing up. Um, so I sort of had that locked in in winter and I, I did my first year of high school. I played netball all winter, was loving it. And I was like, oh, I should probably do a sport to keep me fit in, in summer for ready for the netball season and I had a few friends that had done it and they're like try rowing and I was like okay I'll give it a go um when I went home and told my parents they well particularly my dad was like oh not rowing he was like he was like are we gonna have to be up at like 5 a.m every morning as well and um obviously now they potentially love it more than I do um but their their hearts sank a little bit they're like oh you picked one a very time consuming sport but yeah so I started purely through some friends suggesting it and then they slowly all stopped and I just slowly kept on going <laughs> that is so on brand isn't it like I hear so many friends in rowing who are like I started to keep fit for rugby or netball or yeah. something else and then mm -hmm. at one point probably yeah 12 is when they're like oh I can't do both can't do both yeah is, is that what your experience was too like where you realize oh netball might need to take the back burner yeah essentially that's how it went I, I kind of managed to do both all the way through high school but my last year of high school I got into the New Zealand junior team which then meant rowing also became a winter winter sport as well because we came over to world champs um during the netball season so that was the first time it sort of started to conflict but then also internally I definitely started changing my opinion over which sport I preferred I I think I took to rowing and I was like oh I like rowing because the more you put in the more I got out whereas like netball I would train so hard one week and play terribly and then 
the next week you could do nothing and play play amazing and I didn't like that I couldn't sort of correlate my my work with my performance it was obviously maybe if I continued on I would have figured it out but I was like oh I can see in rowing how that works and I was like I like this it's it's very like comparable so I sort of changed my mind over which one I preferred as well yeah no I also felt the same it's it's like when you study I'm sure with your academics too if you study more you in general you're going to see an upward trend it's not guaranteed but with rowing like the effort you're putting in uh yeah you're gonna see an upward trend it might divot a little bit but you're heading that way yeah yeah absolutely and I feel like that was what I always came back to throughout my whole career it's like even if you're not rowing that well if you can still at least try really hard eventually it will pay off you're out there you're getting fitter like it might be a terrible row but um you're still getting things out of it or there's nothing more demoralizing like standing on a netball court being like I'm playing so badly what do I do (laughs) yeah well also rowing just by nature is once you've started you've started like a a race doesn't get that downtime that I can really appreciate and respect in those team sports like netball or rugby where they can get in their head about it there's no time with rowing especially when you're with other people to get in your head about it because you're just going yeah and it's you can rehearse it like obviously different things might sort of crop up in a race but largely it's it's a performance you've practiced you've practiced and you're like now I'm just putting out performance as opposed to like the team sports I really admire the people that can go out there and you don't quite know what's going to happen and it's it's a real mental challenge to get yourself out of a funk halfway through a game or any of that so yeah it's very uh very impressed by their skills <laughs> and I it's almost uh correct myself there it's like and you mentioned that there are different pressures though like if you are going into a game maybe there's some time whereas there's an insane amount of pressure of knowing anything like swimming running rowing where it's a race is there will be this definite time at 1202 like your race is going to start and you need to be ready so it ties in I wanted to ask a bit about the pressure like performance pressure right because in what was it the World Rowing Federation publishes an annual for those who don't know they publish this annual top 10 ranking for both men and women and in 2019 you were the highest ranked female rower and then repeated in 2021 and in 2019 you and Kerry Gowler now Kerry Williams also won that rowing woman's crew of the year like that's great and all deserved but I'm reading it I'm like is that also like it's great recognition but then you're like all right like pressure and I'm obviously not an elite athlete so I look at it like that so how do you approach the internal and external pressures of performance expectation yeah it was definitely something I had to put quite a bit of work into getting better at it I remember when I was pretty new into the elite team I would get to world champs every year and this is when it was probably more like I would have been more unknown so it would have been more just like internal pressure or within our team pressure um and I'd be sitting there before my world champs final be like this is the worst feeling like why do you do that and then we had to sort of like check ourselves to be like this is meant to be the best moment you know this is what you've done all this work for and you're sitting here being like I hate this feeling um so did a lot of work around how to like change that mindset um and it has to be done I guess before the day you can't just turn up on the day and be like no no you actually you enjoy being it but I think it's about sort of realizing that it is a privilege to do something you care so much about and you feel nervous and 
you sometimes feel like almost like the weight of the world's on your shoulders but I was like essentially in the end it is sport um I think someone put it in perspective with me it's like if you go out there and you don't do well no one's going to think less of you that they, they might be gutted because you're gutted and gutted because you've put in a lot of work but no one's going to be like oh you're a worse person because of it um so I think it's just trying not to build up any extra pressure in your head um I actually found that really interesting leading up into Tokyo because I think when there was a stage where because I thought I was like, okay this is my Olympic Games where I believe I can win I was like I'm gonna feel so nervous it's gonna be so uncomfortable but I think when there was about a six months or however long being like god we might not even get the chance to race because of COVID um it kind of took that pressure off because I think I was just got to the stage where I was like oh all I want is the chance to try try and do it like whether it happens or not I don't I don't mind but it's just when when I thought maybe we'd done all this work and we're not even going to get a chance to try and win um it kind of took the pressure off and was like regardless I just want to get there and race and it was quite a nice feeling to sort of put it in perspective that you're like you're actually just privileged to be there to do it um and kind of took the external pressure off Oh my gosh, I didn't even, not to say I didn't think about it, because obviously at the time I remember thinking like, oh, I wonder how that, you know, impacts their training program, because suddenly you're an extra year away, but not recognizing. That's actually really cool the way you say it's, you are reminded almost of that privilege of we get to do this. And there's, when something's taken away potentially or postponed, I like that. It's It probably reset you and the team into like, oh my gosh, I'm just glad we're here. Yeah, and it was it was such a nice feeling to to kind of have that like performance expectation off because we hadn't raced anyone for about two years, which is quite unusual in rowing because yeah. normally you do three practice regattas a year against all your competition, then you get to your world champs. And the Olympics would have been the same. We would have practiced racing them three times and then a month later turned up at the Olympics being like, this is where we sit. But I was like, two years is a long time. I was like, maybe maybe we've gotten lots faster maybe everyone else has gotten lots faster um so yeah, it was just all this unknown but I was like as long as my last five years doesn't end up and just sitting at home not being able to race I, was like, I don't mind <laughs> oh yes and I didn't send you this question but I've always been curious because maybe like a at club level or even some way senior level when you're rowing in New Zealand, uh, you row in multiple races, but typically, right, you get to world champs or the Olympics, like you just stick to one boat. Can you explain for those who don't talk rowing what it was like and the fact that you raced at the Olympics in two different boats? Yeah, it was, we went around in a lot of circles to decide whether to do it, I think. So essentially it's 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 unusual. You you normally do your one boat and obviously a large part of that is for the racing week, but also for the training. You you only focus on one boat, you do all your training in that, and then you get to World Champs and you might have, say, four races in that over a week. Um, but we, Kerry and I, were like solidly the pair. So that was our one we were always gonna go in. And then we sort of got this opportunity where the eight was such a good boat and it's it's hard to get eight people jowling and clicking and coming through the system at the same time so like god this is probably too good of an opportunity to pass up um I guess it was for us weighing up the risks of are you going to bite off more than you can chew because um 
like when all our competition and the pair is back home resting, we're having to get out there and race the eight. And in Tokyo, it was hot and windy and 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 all of that. But I think we were just like, this comes around every four years. Um, let's give it a go. It's like a special bunch of people, and we might as well embrace it. Um, but yeah, it was it was risky um, and had its challenges, but also um, had its benefits. It gives you a break from each boat. It adds a bit of excitement. Um, so it did help us, I think, as well. Yes. I, okay. Thank you for explaining that because I've always been curious and obviously both boats performed very well. Not to think like this, but do you reckon had the, like had a heat not gone well, were you concerned about the negative impact if one of the boats wasn't performing on like your psyche, I guess, going into the next race for the other boat? Yeah, I think we were because as a um I guess as a squad New Zealand often prioritizes the small boats and I think Kerry and I had spent a lot of time in the small boats so um our our results potentially the team took a lot of weight off because we had been kind of consistently winning being stuck at home in New Zealand for about two years not being able to race anyone we sort of like potentially set the benchmark for times and things so I guess in the in the back of your head, you could think like, oh, maybe we raced the pair before the eight. So if we went out and completely bombed out, then then the rest of the girls in the eight could be like, well, we've done the same training. This isn't going to go well for us. Like that's that's all that. But honestly, I think we've done so much work around all of that prior to the Olympics that I was like, backed us that we could cope with it. Um, but yeah, there is always that fear and. I think we were lucky as a team to go the opposite way and we started getting like from the start we got a few good results so that everyone was like yeah we've all done the same training so we sort of was, was on a roll the other way but it could have been yeah it could have been tough yeah well that's a perfect result right it's like you know there there are knowns in rowing there are just numbers that aren't going to change in two years of not racing like yeah maybe a world record could have potentially happened for before but we're talking like seconds so you can yeah. you can judge it pretty well oh yeah um okay pivoting from all the successes with olympics rowing to now studying and masters and i know like any rowing regretter you get that medal ceremony pretty closely to when you've raced right it's like you don't have a lot of time to process you're tired um all these things but when you're appointed a member of the new zealand order of merit I assume they maybe tell you in advance. I just want to know what the experience was like to really reap the rewards of something you'd done, but not be post 2K exhausted, like have your family in there and just get time to enjoy the celebrations. What was that whole experience like? Yeah, it was really special um, because as you say, like it's not something you work towards. Like it was never a goal to achieve that um it's it's like a reward for you the your effort and time you put into something else and I do remember getting the email and I think I didn't really realize at the time I was like oh that's cool like I was like oh that, that's great um and then as like it, it kind of came out and like officially to the public and then I went to my ceremony and I think it was sitting in the room and sort of hearing um the blurbs about everyone else and what that achieved and I was like wow I'm in the same like caliber is this and and my my blurbs also been read out which 
it, it really put it in perspective. Um, and yeah, it, it was very special to be able to share it with family as well, because um, I think they put in so much time and effort and energy and support into my rowing career and not having them be able to be in Tokyo because of all the COVID restrictions. It was nice to have a moment where we could all share that back in New Zealand, but um, it was a bit surreal. And it's, honestly, it's it's still a bit of a dream. Like I'd be like, oh, did that happen? <laughs> oh, I love, I'm hearing that and I'm getting like little goosebumps. <laughs> suddenly I'm like, oh yeah, you spoke before about your dad being like, oh, 5 a.m. Like (laughs) that's that time. And then all of that success at the Olympics. And I'm imagining them at home, probably like crying and watching the race and all of those things. So I can really like embody that experience you must have had of like surrealness. Like everyone's here and it's all happening. That's just beautiful. It's really nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, Okay, this question I ask in every interview, and it's about tall poppy syndrome, right? Yeah. What is it in your own words, and have you experienced or witnessed it? Yeah, this is a really interesting one as well. It's, I'd say it is when, um, you know, someone is achieving, someone is doing great things and all of that, and then other people just feel the need, whether it's based on insecurities or thought I think especially in New Zealand we're quite bad at this of that person getting too uh, cocky or confident it's like oh you should downplay it more and and sort of rather than being like wow that is amazing do you realize what you've just achieved you sort of uh, I guess it's just the constant knocking down and I think it's pretty common um like in my experiences it can come in the way of just like little digs or um like it might be like, oh yeah, you won that, but did you know they were um like they were actually that only rode together for a week or like they're tired or or any of that. Um and I think one of the things I find most interesting about it is I think this is quite ingrained in our culture that in my experience of rowing, we almost started to do it to ourselves as well. Um like I think and I'm still very like sometimes I'm very uncomfortable like meeting new people I would never be like oh hey this is what I've done like it it makes you be like oh no that would you'd come across as too like up yourself or or any of that but and and the rowing team I think we were quite bad for a while at being like oh no I'm so bad at that and I'm bad at that and where I'm like actually you're quite good at it but I don't it's not I don't know whether it's you want comfort or you want someone else to build you up because people don't naturally do that but yeah I think it was almost coming from internal and external sources which is quite an interesting thing to acknowledge yeah thank you for sharing that and I wonder also in that high performance environment right like everyone is very good to be there and so I wonder what you're saying if you felt that amongst like the rowers it's because anyone who is in the room is that the training is very very good so I can imagine it's hard to feel like that almost imposter syndrome of like well why am I here is it maybe a little bit yeah definitely because I know I've had a lot of friends also that have found since leaving the environment being like oh wow okay maybe I didn't achieve my Olympic goals and I thought my career was almost like a disaster but leaving and people were like oh my god you went to the Olympics that's insane and it's like you sort of even forget the achievement that is um 
but when you are literally only really surrounded in this bubble by people that are either doing that at the bare minimum or or better you can normalize what you think is good or bad and you know if you sat there and told me like in my I went to the Rio Olympics and we came fourth and I thought that was terrible but if you told like 16 year old Grace that she was going to go to the Olympics she'd be like oh my god that's insane like you're incredible but like as you get closer and closer you just sort of lose the um the how like how special it is and how how great an achievement it is and we're definitely not very good at um embracing those (laughs) yes and I think that we're working on it definitely even like conversations like this which is why I'm so grateful for it um it is a lot of that inner dialogue as what I'm observing from people, but it, and it's confirmed when you get those negative external ones, like you said, those little digs every now and then, cause you're like, we, we seek out, is it um, like self-confirming bias, right? We're like, yeah. oh, well, one person in the sea of compliments, one person said something negative that affirms that inner dialogue of, oh, I don't deserve it. So we, we are working on it, but I thank you for sharing those kind of skills or approaches you even have because I'm sure a lot of people will look and be like there's no way she feels like any of those things (laughs) oh I'm kidding she's literally an Olympian um but I wanted to and I didn't send you this question but just thinking was it encouraging talking to people who had you know left the the rowing environment and seeing like hey they're okay like because we discussed before we started recording of like you've been you know, doing it for a long time, where was there nerves when it came to stepping away? There were there were a lot of nerves. Um, essentially, at that lifestyle is all I had known. Um, and there were a lot of nerves about a lot of different things. Uh, I guess one of it was was almost like, okay, you have found something that you are like good at. It's like if you leave, will you find anything else that you're good at? You know, you've gotten used to being able to like really perfect what you're doing. And and I knew vaguely kind of what I want to do, but it was like it's really broad and I just want to sort of explore what's next. And it's it's hard to get your head around the like lack of clarity that brings and whether you're like maybe I'll just be bad at everything. <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot of nerves around that. And then also socially I found really interesting. I I was really nervous about the social side of leaving rowing because I'd operated in a bubble for the last 10 years in a small town. I had my amazing friends, but it was like, I, you don't meet new people. And when I came over to Cambridge university, I had this moment of panic. I was like, Oh my God, you're going to have to make new friends. I was like, you literally have not made new friends. And, and, so, so long. And, and, and I loved it. I loved meeting new people, but, I was like that even made me nervous um but it was really reassuring talking to other people that had done it and them saying it's hard it takes a while but it's kind of natural for it to be hard and I'm really pleased with how I did it studying first because that was such a chaotic year and didn't really have any downtime so you were just going and going and going and you know working so hard towards the Olympics I didn't really think a lot what's past minus applying and coming to Cambridge but it was nice to roll on to something new and then once I officially retired I was like I think I want to stay in London because it's that same sort of environment it's um 
it's busy it's it's all really new to me so it's not like I'm back home in New Zealand and I've only taken the rowing away and everything else is the same um like obviously I'll, I'll always go back to New Zealand eventually um but for this time in my life I'm just like I think you just need to be thrown in the deep end <laughs> yeah like have the whole environment change because it, it's all different and I appreciate you saying yeah like oh my goodness, I need to make friends that aren't like, we're not going to talk about rowing, which circles back to at the beginning, like sport is that common thread we can talk about. Um, So it's smart also, not only that you did the masters, but having that as that next thing. So you've gone, uh, yeah, just a complete environment switch. I would do that myself. I think that that's an excellent way to do it and be really stimulated. It sounds like you're someone who just needs to be in a, high-paced performing environment you've become New Zealand's one of like the most decorated rowers right and you have this insanely impressive career already we've really clarified on that but there's so much opportunity and ambition as you're embracing this next stage and you've just touched upon it now like straight into studying yep tick that off what are the most like exciting things you're looking forward to in where you're at now is it traveling is it work what is it I think it's just having almost the ability to have options about what to do next like I I loved my time rowing and I I loved every moment of it but one of the reasons I I decided to retire was I was like I'm excited to see what else is out there in the world and I think I'm at an age where it's I've still got a good amount of time that I can explore and um as you say travel and try different jobs and, and do all that um I I really thought long and hard about whether I could go to Paris because I I think performance wise and physically I was like I can get there and I I think I can have another go at trying to win again but I was like mentally and sort of emotionally I was like I think I need something different I think I need to like see what else is out there because I'm probably quite a safe person so if I stay in my bubble I'm just going to be very content there and I was like I think you need to like get out there so yeah i i'm excited to sort of try and see how i can use my skills i've learned and hopefully help it in in my next career and that's what i'm kind of trying like currently trying to do is sort of draw on all the lessons i've learned in rowing and dealing with pressure and high performing teams and culture and all that and take that into kind of a corporate environment um so i think that's my way of sort of filling the void of rowing um what I found interesting leaving was I was like I actually miss being nervous and feeling under pressure and and I do get quite nervous like public speaking and speaking in front of people but as I think that's giving me the sort of thing that I have lost from rowing so that's what I'm currently doing and just um sort of embracing having a little bit more flexibility and freedom which is quite a nice change (laughs) absolutely and I think what I really like to hear there too and I was speaking to Kim Crossman yesterday for the for the interview and what she said and I feel like you'll appreciate this is I don't know what I'll be good at next right like you were so successful in rowing and then you've been successful in academics it's like oh you could be like you said the comfort of oh I know I'm really good at these things or it's like or maybe I'll be really good I hope I'm going to be really good at a bunch of other things and I don't know until I try them. Yeah, exactly. I think that really resonates with me. And and I know when I first left, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do. So I'll have a lot of 
meetings with people, have a lot of coffees with people and try and learn about what they do and see what excites me. And I almost got to the stage where I'd have all these meetings with people and they'd be like, you don't need to worry, you'll be good at so many things. And I was like, well, someone tell me exactly what I'll be good at. Like, I need that. But I've had to try and embrace the thought that it's like, you just have to figure it out. And and one thing I'm getting my mind around is I'm so used to being like, um, okay, I wanted to win Olympic gold. So my one path to that is through rowing New Zealand and that's that's how I get there. Whereas here, I'm like, there's so many different pathways you can take that I'm like, okay, if you start going down the wrong one, you can change. And, and I'm sure eventually you'll um, look back and say five years time and be like, oh, that was exciting. And now this is where I've ended up. And I don't know where that'll be, but uh, hopefully somewhere great. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a very healthy way to look at it because you can get almost decision fatigue as someone who, yeah, you know, when you get out of it, I know rowing did a lot for me in terms of getting me to the States, but I was almost had that privilege of being like, oh, I'm good, but I'm not good enough to make it a realistic pathway. So I was almost grateful, whereas I'd look at some of my friends and teammates who were on that cusp of like, oh, if I just go 110%, I'll get it. And I I know real, realistically, if I you know put my all into it, maybe, but I almost, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a decision fatigue there of being like, and that I can empathize with you that it's like, oh, where do I go? So I'm glad that you're looking at it as like, I'm just going to go. And I guess, do you have any guiding principles? For example, for me, I'm like, well, as long as I'm happy and I'm being a good person and not getting in any debt, I'm going in a good way. (laughs) Like, do you have anything like that in terms of where you kind of want to go? I think I'm similar. I think I am looking for something that excites me, that makes me happy. And that I do feel like is beneficial. Um, I don't think I can go into anything that is just like, we're just here working for the sake of it. Um, obviously, it's like money enough to live, um, but I would much rather have something that fulfills me than chase chase all, chase all the money. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's mostly around like the sort of like contentment and like fulfillment I get from it, which which I think is, a great principle but then also that is hard to find because that could be anywhere that could be in any industry or anything as long as I like the team I like the culture and all of that so it's it's exciting to kind of dabble in it but I think yeah that's definitely sort of what I've been guided by and anytime I talk to someone and I'm like wow that's so exciting I'm like okay run with that feeling even if it's not necessarily what you thought you'd do like it's made you excited go and explore it yes um, in terms of travel, obviously with rowing, you got to go to all these cool places. You probably saw a lot of the lakes or the rivers, like very water-based experience. Um, are there places that you're most looking forward to returning, not as a rower, and also just places in general that you want to go? Yeah, there definitely is. Like I, my favorite place for rowing was Slovenia. Um, it's where we would base ourselves for our long, long camp. So it kind of feels like that home away from home. And I would love to go back there because I, I remember having such like amazing feelings about it when we were in like the deepest of training camps. Um, so I was like, it must be an incredible place if I loved it when we we're in that tired and fatigued. Um, they're definitely there and I'm very excited to sort of follow along the rowing regattas so to go back to Lucerne and and watch that and obviously always the local ones as well like Henley um 
but yeah, there's I, I've got a pretty long travel bucket list and I really want to make the most of when I'm over this side of the world, being able to do that so much um, quicker and more more easy. Uh, but yeah, I think my, my next one's I'd love to go to Portugal, actually. That's quite high on my list. And also Spain. Spain, I've been a few times, but there's a few more places I want to check off. Um, and then hopefully I can start getting into the kind of rogue ones when you, you've ticked off the main ones. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when you've kind of got in your what do they call it like your sea legs when you've got your travel legs on knowing all right this is what I this is what I like and now I can go to like I mean Prague's not a unique one maybe there's like yeah there's more European South American ones that I'm like oh that's a country if I'm being honest because I don't know all of yeah. them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I would also love to come and do more in like America and stuff but that seems like such a daunting task you get to this I was like, okay, I travel America. And then I was like, that is so big. I was like, where do you even start? Like I've done, I've done it once, but barely touched the surface. <laughs> oh, well, if you find yourself getting this way, you can ask me. <laughs> that is true though. People will be like, oh, how's the States? And I'm like, well, you need to be more specific with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's too big. <laughs> it, it, is, it is too big. Um, okay, I have one, I, I just want to keep chatting, but um, one question I always ask people at the end is like, if you had to have one meal for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, what is it going to be? Oh, as in like one of those meals? No, like that has to be all. So, oh, I see. I see. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think I was always, always made fun of for how much toast I eat. Um, it is like such, it's such a, like, I love it. It's so convenient. And if I could spice it up and do it in different ways for every meal, you know, I could have eggs on toast to, brunch and then like a, a bruschetta type of thing for lunch um but that was I feel like I was sort of known and rowing for how much bread I could consume which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but um that would probably be my most realistic answer um oh yeah hard if I had to do a cuisine I would definitely do something like Japanese but yeah if I had to do one one food I'd probably have to do something something toast based <laughs> that is very good and okay so <laughs> Pre like pre race was it toast? Was that the go all the time? Yeah, always, always peanut butter and banana on toast. Um, that was without a doubt go to like, and then I people would be like, how can you have toast for first breakfast, second breakfast, lunch? Obviously, I'd have something for dinner, different for dinner. But I was like, so convenient. It takes me like two seconds to do, and I and I love the taste. <laughs> oh, my not very gosh. adventurous. <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm with porridge though, and that's mainly because oh, I don't. Yeah the bread here is not very good the bread oh, it's yeah. just it's I've had to just pivot away from it yeah um, <laughs> so I, I, maybe I need to come and detox <laughs> no they do have um where I'm in like the uh, New Jersey New York area so it's bagels and pizza so Ooh. those are very good that's where yeah, the bread bagels, goes bagels I could do yeah <laughs> yes oh Grace um is there any like final thing you want to say while you have the platform or anything um no I think I've really enjoyed the conversations today and I think thinking about the tall poppy syndrome has um been quite like relevant in my life recently because I think leaving it everyone I, I feel like I've been hit up quite a few times about not being very confident and saying like what my achievements are and um what I've done in the past and I think it's sort of sunk in that I was like oh I don't know if that's like a 
product of like the environment I've come through or if it's just not being normalized to really embrace those but I think what you're doing and sort of raising awareness around that is really good because it's definitely something we should embrace more because I know now that I've closed that chapter of my life I almost was like wow you should have really like lived at every moment and been like hey look I just did this rather than be like oh let's let's not talk about it um but I think it's really exciting and and I look forward to listening to the other ones that you're doing as well thank you I've enjoyed this so much I'm geeking out a little bit like the the rowing chat but in general just really happy and excited for you and since years and years ago when we first met and our paths crossed you've always been so incredibly kind and welcoming and it it meant a lot especially when I was early rowing days to have like all of all of you when you would come into work were just so like how's your how are you going and I'm like oh my gosh they, they care but that just shows that genuine enthusiasm and love you have for the sport and for people so thank you and when I reached out I was really excited that we could reconnect and see where you're at now and to share everything you've done so it, it meant a lot for me getting to talk to you today no it was my pleasure as well I really enjoy it it's always nice to sort of touch back touch base again and be like oh gosh time's really flowing and everyone's gone off and achieved cool things but you will always be connected by that one one thing yes thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials youtube and the website thanks for today's guest